How can we increase the chances that our audience will truly get what we mean? With clarity. I'm Daphna. Welcome to Let's Clarify It, where we'll explore how to communicate our innovative ideas in ways that lead to the results and impact we set out to achieve. Every day we encounter so many opportunities for meaningful exchanges. Let's make the most of them by being perfectly clear. What's the antidote to constantly hearing the same types of similar speakers on every public stage and platform? How can we ensure that new, diverse, impactful voices can be heard? That's exactly what Dr. Tricia Richards Service, communication scholar and two-time Fulbright RD, asked herself and then answered by founding I Need a Speaker, a platform for connecting speakers with audiences specifically designed to remove the barriers posed by traditional speaker bureaus to amplify new voices that need to be heard. Join us for episode five of Let's Clarify It, in which Trisha shares how she learned that the best engaging stories don't necessarily come from celeb or professional speakers, how our words are like hammers and what this entails in terms of responsible use, why communication skills are essential rather than soft, and why it's so important that youth and young adults can see role models similar to themselves in diverse public speakers. Curious? Let's clarify it. Hi, Trisha. How are you? I'm well, Daphna. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. I wish we were meeting in person rather than over Zoom. And I certainly hope that you'll have the opportunity to come visit me in Jerusalem. And I certainly look forward to coming to the States once it's healthy and safe and possible. I would enjoy that very much. But meanwhile, I'm very grateful for Zoom. And I'm really happy that we met of all places in such a creative place as one of Seth Godin's Akimbo workshops, the marketing seminar, which we've both completed recently. And you were talking about a really exciting project you've launched there, right? Want to tell us about that? I'm so excited about it. In August of 2020, I launched I Need a Speaker, which is an online service that helps connect speakers with audiences. So how it works is that a speaker will pay to be listed in a searchable directory and event planners can search that directory for free, giving people opportunities to connect in ways that they may never have had the opportunity to do before. What I really want to do with this is hear new voices. I want to play a role in amplifying new voices that need to be heard and spreading information and motivation and education and uh, in some cases entertainment globally. Amazing. And this isn't your regular day job either, is it? (laughs) No, no. During the day, I'm a professor of public relations at Temple University in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So what would you say is the importance of clarity in the fields that you work in? Clarity is so important in terms of, of every situation we're in. Sometimes when I'm emphasizing this to my students, I will use the example of our student center, which is huge. And I'll say, Daphna, why don't we meet? Let's get together for a coffee. I'll meet you at the door of the student center. And you say, great, that sounds like fun. So we choose a day and we choose a time. And I'm waiting and getting angry that you're not there, that it's 10 minutes later, it's 15 minutes later, and you're not there. And you're getting angry that I'm not there. And what we failed to do, perhaps, although you wouldn't do this because you're a great communicator, was we failed to say which door. We failed to say which entrance. So that's an example that's really, really simple that I give to my students to illustrate how desperately we need clarity in our everyday communication and in our professional and personal communication as well. 
Amazing. And I absolutely would do that. I have recently. It turns out that when you send a Zoom calendar invite, by default, if you're using a PC with Windows on it, it'll also send a Google Meet Meetup invite as well. So I was waiting for somebody on the Zoom link and they were waiting for me on the Google link. And we were both irritated. How is the other one being late? We didn't think that would happen with them. So yeah, they could be virtual doors or real doors. I, I feel that student's <laughs> pain in yours <laughs> very viscerally. Yeah, super we didn't important. didn't even coordinate that. That's funny. <laughs> so you have a lot of different audiences, don't you? Who are your main audiences and what are your respective messages to each of those audiences? For I need a speaker, the main audiences would be anyone who has a message and a passion about that message. There is this expectation, if you will, that in traditional speakers bureaus, you have to be a professional speaker or a celebrity to even be listed in the roster. And what I'm learning is some of the most deep, powerful, impactful messages come from people who just tell their story or they share something that they've experienced or a learning that they've had in their lives. And it is so powerful and so transformative that I want to bring those people into the discussion as well. So if you were to visit INeedaSpeaker.com, you'll see that I talk a lot about speakers of all experience levels because we all have something to say. We all have a story to share. And that's something I learned years ago as a news reporter is everyone has a story. And I'm finding that really very compelling ones are coming from people who normally would not classify themselves as a regular or professional speaker. So that's one audience is speakers of all experience levels. And then another is event planners. And I'll tell you where this came from. This came from a story of pain, of the minutia and tedious nature of committee meetings, trying to figure out who would be a speaker for a meeting. I recall two years ago, sitting in a meeting that started to move into its third hour of, of painful repetition of who do you know? Who do you know? Who do you know? And it's the same voices over and over again. And we don't learn from that. We don't get excited from that. We don't feel inspiration from something that we've heard over and over and over again. And I was driving home from this meeting and I was thinking, well, that was a big waste of time. You know, that was very difficult. Why can't there just be a place where we can go and find a speaker on anything and just make it easy? And by the time I got into my garage at home and put the car in park, I decided I'm going to build it. So I did. What a great founding story. So <laughs> <laughs> from what you can see on the ground, lots of organizations are looking for speakers that bring a different voice and talk about their authentic experience. And they don't necessarily have to be a fellow PhD with 20 years of research in a specific field. Exactly, exactly. This opens doors to all kinds of possibilities, interdisciplinary work, person-to-person -person work, motivational, whatever you want to call it. But it really opens that virtual stage, if you will, to new people. And since the COVID-19 restrictions have been put in place in March last year, um, we've seen digital events increase over a thousand percent. And it's not just conferences, it's webinars and panel discussions. It's, um, it's platforms where we just want to share a story and, you know, build other people up. And I'm really loving the positivity that's come out of that. You know, the pandemic has been dreadful in so many ways. It's been very difficult for many of us, 
But how great to find a silver lining where we can connect on a global level, because now people are realizing they don't have to pay travel fees. It doesn't have to be in person. So people like you in Jerusalem and me in Northeastern Pennsylvania can have this conversation for the benefit of others. So I'm excited about that. And one way that I'm making this appealing is that a speaker's bureau traditionally would charge about 30% of the speaker's fee on top of that fee. And with this, there's no fee. You just connect with one another, you make meaningful connections, you network, and we hear new voices, especially in light of recent events this summer with Black Lives Matter, um, with LGBTQ people looking for equality, with so much dissension going on in the world. I'm happy to see that other voices can be amplified and that we can raise them up and hear them with respect and be open-minded and be better people because of it. So important, so important. Mm -hmm. And those messages, once they're amplified, can amplify the impact of the work being done in those areas. Absolutely. It's pretty exciting. Super. So let's think maybe of a time, if you could share with us, expert that you are in these fields of communication, I bet you've had your fair share of challenges in communicating something that was important to you. What would you say is one of the bigger communication challenges that you've faced and overcome? People might expect me to say it's teaching some kind of theory or something, but that's not really the case. When I have examined you know, my, my history of, of communicating as a person and as a professional, I would have to say the most difficult conversations are trying to explain things like bad behaviors, racism, for example, something like that to my kids when they were young, because they would ask me questions and, and say, why is it like this? And I can't get my mind around that idea enough to explain it. I can't explain why there are wars over religion because I can't really process that myself. I'm having a hard time with with those kinds of negative pieces of humanity. But when my children would ask for the positive things, you know, that was so much easier to find the words. So I think it's when I'm having a hard time processing something or maybe it's an idea for which I don't have 100% belief or engagement or support on my own side, that I really think it's difficult to explain that to other people. That's such an important point. Right. I like them to be open-minded. And I've learned over time, instead of saying to someone, well, I don't agree with you, I've learned to say, well, what in your experience makes you say that? What in your experience draws you to this conclusion? And that is where you start to find mutual understanding. And that's when you realize we're all humans, we're all the same and the inside, and we learn from each other. And it really helps understand someone's position. And when you have that history, that understanding, then acceptance is right around the corner. That's a super respectful approach. And it actually brings to mind a question that I'm asked sometimes in presentation skills workshops If somebody works in a company and they're told by their superior that they're going to have to make a presentation on a topic that's not within their area of expertise in the company, like they need to fill in for a colleague or something, how can they muster up the authentic excitement about something that's not theirs or that they don't know so well and yet loyally represent the company to a client or a prospective client or a guest of some kind Would you have a suggestion for somebody struggling with how can I be authentic talking about something that isn't really within my area of expertise or my area of passion? 
I would have advice that some people might find uh, non-traditional is a good word, perhaps. You know, think about when you are being interviewed for a job or when you are applying for a job. We always tell the things that we know. We brag about them. We highlight them. We mention them on the resume. We mention them on the cover letter. We mention them in phone conversations and in person. But we don't talk about what we don't know. And what I like to think is that there is enough generosity in the workforce and in an industry that if somebody were to say, I've been asked to give a presentation on this, and I know you're better at it than I am, could you help me understand what gets you excited about this topic? Can you show me like the sexy side of uh, data mining, you know, or, um, or marine biology or whatever the topic is? I'm just making things up. But could you show me a little bit about your world? And hopefully that other expert, that person will take you in and say, this is what I love about it. And this is what I know about it. Let me help you. And I think that's a wonderful thing to do. I would also have the presenter acknowledge that support from their coworker or whatever the source might be, you know, to say, I really appreciate, I've been asked to speak on this topic. And in the process of preparing, I learned a lot too. And I think if I were in the audience and heard that, I would have a respect for it. I would know that the speaker prepared for it. And I would start to pick up on that enthusiasm that is now becoming contagious. Beautiful. So this guest actually inspired teamwork within the company they were visiting without even intending to. <laughs> I would hope so. Super. That's, that's beautiful. Thank you. Okay. Sure. So maybe in your teaching, is there some kind of communication theory or some kind of concept that you've ever had to explain, some kind of scientific concept or idea that was complicated that was something that you had to explain to your students beyond what you shared before about explaining concepts that you just can't fathom to your kids? Here's something fun. I just used this example last semester. I had a lot of students in my intro to PR class and I asked them when they introduced themselves in the first class, tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me what you're looking for out of the class. Tell me what you know of public relations. And some of them said very honestly, and I give them credit for being honest, I don't know what public relations is, but I want to find out. It sounds exciting. It looks fun. So this is what I told them, which I think you're going to find amusing. I said, suppose that there are three people and person A is asked on a date by person B. And they think, wow, this is really flattering. And as they're thinking about how to answer, you know, time goes by and someone else comes along and says, oh, you know what? I heard that someone asked you out and I can tell you they're a great person. And you think, wow, that's wonderful. And they say, yeah, they gave me $10 to tell you that. Okay, well, that's advertising. That's <laughs> advertising. So that person then becomes a different variation. But if the person who comes, the third person comes in and says, hey, I heard that so-and-so asked you out. I can tell you that they're an amazing, great human being. And I say, that's wonderful. And there's no money involved. I say that's public relations. So when you hear it from a reputable, objective source that, yes, this is my opinion of this brand, this person, you know, you tend to believe it more. But if someone comes along and says, yes, they're a great person, they gave me $10 to tell you that, then it's, well, that's paid advertising. What a and great dichotomy. <laughs> <laughs> they laugh and laugh and laugh. They think it's hysterical because I try to explain to them you know, what is the difference between public relations and marketing and advertising? And that's one of the examples I give. And they really think that's very funny. 
Beautiful. So it's an altruistically motivated <laughs> putting somebody else's best foot forward on their behalf. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Nice. Okay. So enough with the misunderstanding and the complication. When did clarity actually serve you well along your career and your personal life? When have you felt like the fact that you were clear is what really helped you nail something that was important to you? Or not. Uh, <laughs> I have a story to tell you. There um, years ago, when I was a newspaper reporter, I was investigating a story about this older couple who were being harassed by younger people in the neighborhood. They were on ATVs, dirt bikes, motorcycles, and they were carousing the neighborhood, you know, at all hours of the night. And they would cross over their corner lot and they were ruining their lawn, this the older couple's lawn. So the older couple, as you can imagine, is very upset. And the husband and wife are are just battling this group. They're having a hard time. They're working with the police. Nothing is, is going, you know, well to change the pattern. So I called them to talk about it and find out more about the story. And I have the woman on the phone and she's telling me about, you know, the last time my husband did this and the last time my husband did that. And the last time these bikers came through and she's telling me the story. She starts to sob on the phone. Well, my take on it was, oh my gosh, her husband passed away. She did reference a heart attack and she keeps saying the last time this, the last time that. I did not want to upset her any more than she already was upset. So I didn't ask the big question that would have clarified. So the next morning, I get a phone call in the newsroom and my editor did as well. And it was the husband laughing and saying, it's the first time anyone's ever read about their own death in the newspaper. <laughs> so I referenced him as her late husband. And he got me on the phone and he said, look, I'm not upset. Yes, it's weird to read about your own death in the newspaper, but he said, I was there in the room and listening to my wife's side of the story. You know, as she's talking, I'm listening to her version of the phone call. And I realized that you didn't ask that question to protect her. And he said, I'm so grateful that you were that kind and thoughtful to her. But he said, I'm alive and well, and we just had breakfast together. So, you know, he got me laughing too. But that point of clarity is, is your husband still alive? And that's not something they always teach you in journalism school is ask the really basic questions. But that's where clarity comes from is asking questions and paraphrasing and making sure that that intended message that was sent by the sender is received by the receiver without interference or misinterpretation. So that's why the two-way communication is so important. And that's why we need to paraphrase which door Daphna, which personal door, which um, brick and mortar door, which virtual door, you know, let's clarify these things early on to make sure that we really understand the message as it was intended to be received. Absolutely. You reminded me of another <laughs> miscommunication on my part in the same way when I said something in an email internationally about next Sunday without noting the date. And there was an upcoming Sunday a few days later, and somehow the other person didn't think that I meant that next meant this Sunday. So mm -hmm. from then on, I've always, even when it's two days away, I note the date in addition to the day. So I learned my lesson on that one. And supposedly you did that guy a service, and hopefully that's a good omen that he'll live a long, healthy life. <laughs> uh, I hope so. And it was so kind of him to understand where I was coming from, to put himself in my shoes and know that I did not want to upset his wife anymore, that I was really being protective of her. 
So he got a great story to tell in the end. (laughs) So did did you? (laughs) Yes, I did. (laughs) So you probably follow all sorts of interesting role models. Is there someone or some buddies who come to your mind as really impressive communicators who speak with clarity, who when you see them, you think, yes, that's the way to go about it? I do have some people I respect so much. Um, The first people who come to mind are my coworkers at Temple University. And I realize that we are communicators professionally, but I also realize there's a personal side to the stresses that we've experienced as as a planet, basically, with the pandemic and with divisiveness and politics and things. They're always so emotionally intelligent. And my coworkers are very kind people who put people first and not tasks. And the way they communicate is just so heartwarming that it makes me feel really good. Like I found a home, you know, a place where I belong. So in terms of communicating with emotional clarity, I think of them um, to switch drastically to a celeb, I would have to say Oprah Winfrey is someone I like for clarity. And the reason is Oprah is a billionaire. Oprah has overcome issues of race personal trauma, um, difficulties with her her life in general. She's overcome all of those things and become this global icon, yet she can talk to anyone about anything and relate to them. And I love her relatability. And I love the way she paraphrases, like I just talked uh, about with two-way communication, to make sure that a message is received as intended. She will treat a subject with the honor and respect it deserves. She sits and asks questions without judgment. And I just think it's, it's just so funny. Like here's this black woman who's a billionaire, you know, whose life I'll never know. And yet I feel like I can relate to her. And I think that just crosses so many boundaries across so many, you know, elements that really make you feel that you're in that conversation, that you can relate to someone like that. And a lot of people talk about Steve Jobs in the same way or Bill Gates, depending on who their celeb fans are. But I just think she's an incredible communicator who succeeded because of that skill. And I don't like when they call it soft skills, by the way, just for the record, I call them critical skills or essential skills. Yay, yay. I totally agree with you. And I always tell people that I'm insulted <laughs> when they introduce this as, so these are some soft skills that you're being offered because we think they're not soft, they're bread and butter, they're crucial. What can anybody do <laughs> at all in any profession if they can't get their messages across clearly? They are essential and I'm glad you agree. We need to hang that banner and fly it every day. We need to get that message out into the world because they are critical skills. And without good communication, it's it's not going to move. We're, we're not going to move the needle towards success. Totally. We'll, we'll create a campaign, bumper stickers, clear communication I'm, or people too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on it. I'll get on it. <laughs> Terrific. I find that one tool that I really love using, especially when I'm helping scientists make something very complex, accessible to somebody in their audience, is analogies or metaphors. What is it like? What is it similar to? What would somebody in an audience of a different disciplinary background recognize as this is a mechanism for doing this with that or in order to do this for that type of population? Or do you, do you like to use analogies or metaphors? Do you have some favorites? 
I do have one favorite and I have to credit my husband for this. I don't know if it was his idea initially, but he uses it as a teaching tool with our children. And I really appreciate that. I say children, but they're, they're teens now they're, they're young adults, but he has always said words are like hammers. They can build up or they can tear down. And, you know, he would explain things in such a way he's the, he's a level-headed one of the two of us. I'm the emotional, you know, <laughs> I'm the more volatile one. He's always even, and he's always calm and he's, he's the go-to person, you know, but he explains that you can choose words that will maintain a relationship, build a relationship, protect something, educate, but you can also use words to tear down. And once you do that, it's hard to recover from it. And that's, um, that's a broad analogy and in forming relationships, it could mean in a professional setting, stop using all the lingo. Help me understand what you're talking about. You know, it could mean don't use the slang. You know, my daughter's always tell me, you don't understand what slang is today. And I say, no, and I really don't aim to, <laughs> but, you know. So how are you using words to reach the people you want to reach? And, and what are you doing with those words? So he's always the one who says, if you're angry, you know, wait a little bit, think about what you want to say, because he talks about the term responsibility as the ability to respond. So you have a responsibility, you know, do you want to respond with ability or do you want to react? So think about how that hammer is going to come out. Super. You keep showing me and demonstrating more and more ways in which we're very, very similar. <laughs> same, <laughs> same, same bunch of smarty teenagers over here and same division of parenting labor between my husband and myself. And he's also the center of stability. And I'm also the one that mixes things up. So I guess we've both found our equilibrium in, in the home, right? Absolutely. We Lucky have us. We're very fortunate. So is there a particular kind of communication that you're fond of? Yes, I would have to say, no matter what you're trying to accomplish uh, or what method or channel you're using, what I find so effective is storytelling. And I find that effective because it's so engaging and it's so memorable because you can illustrate something in a way that has people envisioning this in their minds, kind of like the dating example of what is public relations. But, and I, I tell students as well, if I were to come running into the classroom and focus on one person in the classroom and say, Daphne, you're not gonna believe what just happened on the way here. Everyone else perks up a little bit and they think, what happened? What happened? Because they wanna know, because we are wired as human beings to want to hear stories. We want to tell stories. And before history books existed, that's how they told stories. And that's how they answered their questions was through fables and stories and historical recounts of what had occurred. And I just think there's something about that that really makes us tune in and gets those neurons firing and says, you know, I, I should remember this. This is something important that's coming, you know. Um, so I kind of like storytelling as a method of communicating. Do you find that storytelling is something that you can easily teach to your students, for example? I find that I beg researchers and entrepreneurs that I work with on short pitches for competitions, please, please, please start with a grabbing opening story, like the founding story of your startup, how you came up with the idea for I Need a Speaker, how you thought of that breakthrough medical device technology, how, why, right? Instead of starting with, good morning, 
my name is, and today we'll talk about, right? I beg them, please, please start with, since I've been seven years old and I watched my sister with diabetes have to constantly measure her blood sugar level all day long, I swore that one day I was going to develop a means that would be non-invasive, that would improve her quality of life, you know, totally different situation, right? Is that teachable? Do you find that that's something teachable? I would say that it is teachable. What I like to do is give the students the beginning, say, from two different speeches, the same topic, the same major points, but first is the dull version and then the exciting version. And I'll do that with creative writing as well to have them bring imagery into it, uh, more of the senses. What did it smell like? What did it feel like? You know, what did it look like? Things like that to really bring us into a situation as audience members and understand what they want to share. So if they see the before and after of the same speech, one is the dull version, one is the exciting, sexy version, they always remember the one that's kind of, uh, you know, doctored up, the one that's more brilliant and um, explicit, easy to remember. So that's how I've been teaching it. I, I think it works well. And I try to get them to use that story to illustrate a point and then somehow wrap it up at the, at the end so that we have that conclusion and sense of closure. And we have that understanding of, of where you wanted to take that, that story. Super. And when you teach public speaking, do you find and do you demonstrate to the students how this is something that could benefit them in other types of communication as well? Do you ever have resistance at the beginning of the year and they say, wait a minute, but I'm not going to become a TED speaker. I'm not going into marketing. Why do I even need this? What, how else will it help me in my life? <laughs> have you been listening in? Because that's what they say. <laughs> I've met them. Guess what? We have students, same, same students in Israel, same students anywhere, right? Bless. Exactly. I love, I love students. I'm guessing you do too. Oh, I think they're wonderful. I love seeing the transformation from the beginning of the semester to the end of one and looking at how far they've come. And I always tell them, I just polished the diamond. I just shine the diamond. You are already diamonds. You already have the talent within you. I'm just helping bring it out. So that was my standard um, statement to the students to shine the diamond. So they, they kind of knew that that was where I was coming from. But they do, um, they do need to have public speaking and they do need to have these communication theories and their communication practices to benefit every area of their life. And it's not just students. You know, some people think that that's something I have to endure in classes when I'm in college or high school. But no, there's so much deeper meaning behind it, because when you teach or learn public speaking, you um, you have to organize your thoughts. You have to clarify your message. You have to know your audience. So when you think about these things on an interpersonal level, if I know there's something that could upset you, Daphne, I might phrase it differently so that I, I don't want to upset you. If I want to get you excited about something and I know your audience, you know, I know that you're say you're a fan of uh, indie films and say, guess what? There's this film thing and I could talk to you about it in ways that would get you really excited. So it's knowing your audience. It's having a message, clarifying the message, preparing. And it sounds like a lot. It sounds like a big presentation all the time, but it could just even be a job interview. It could be an interpersonal communication. It could be a second date. It could be meeting someone's family for the first time. So it could be introducing yourself to your neighbors when you move to a new neighborhood. So all of these things come together to help give you the skills that you need to communicate effectively and make sure that those messages are sent 
you know, with sensitivity to the audience and then make sure that, you know, if you test the waters, you know, that they heard what you intended to say. So I see it falling over into every area of our lives, every single one. Again, critical skills. Totally, (laughs) totally. Exactly. Yeah. Back to the bumper sticker. And would you say from your experience, and you've got some international experience as well, don't you? You had a really interesting Fulbright opportunity. Would you say that these principles are pretty much universally applicable or are they very culturally specific to different contexts? Did you see different things other places that you were? I would say the basic tenets of communication exist globally. You know, to have a message, be clear, have good intentions, be emotionally intelligent. All of those things, I think, come into play. But when it's an intercultural situation with which you're not familiar, what I have found is to say, I want to be respectful. Can you tell me a little bit about about this? Like when I was in Turkey once, I remember not knowing enough. Thank God the tour guide was there, but not knowing enough to cover my head and behave a certain way. I wanted to be respectful of the norms in that Turkish town. I wanted to not be that obnoxious tourist, you know? And the same thing happens in um, in the intercultural situations where say it's a holiday or say it's, um, you know, even aside from situations that are episodic in everyday communication, you wanna be sure that you're showing respect, that you are communicating clearly um, and not really overstepping. So I'm grateful that I had people I could ask honestly, you know, what is this like? How do people behave? What are the expectations of this? And I think that just by asking shows a reverence for them and a respect for them that they're happy to share it. I've never been in a situation globally that people haven't said, it's so sweet of you to ask, let me explain. So I would ask for that feedback right up front. Great. So better better to ask rather than to make assumptions and then turns out that you were wrong and then that could be perceived as disrespect. Right. I would never want to come off as disrespectful. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine that you ever would. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So if we come full circle, when we started talking about uh, I need a speaker, was that the context in which you were talking about wanting to amplify voices that you feel really need to be heard? Could you elaborate a bit on that and how that came to be something so central to you and why it's so important? I can elaborate. There's a book I read over the summer during the Black Lives Matter protests. I did a lot of reading about anti-racism. I am stunned at how much of history was not taught to me um, of all the years I was in school. I'm kind of ashamed you know, that I didn't know more and didn't go and and look for it. But it really opened my eyes to other people's situations, other people's thoughts. So one of the books I read over the summer was by Kevin Gannon. He's a university instructor. And he wrote a book called Radical Hope. And it was his teaching manifesto. And the book is just incredible. It's a powerhouse of a small book. But he talks about the fact that we are raised the way that our teachers were raised. We are taught the way our teachers were taught, which tends to be older white men. So what do your readings look like in class? Who do your guest speakers look like in class? You know, do they relate to a diverse audience? Uh, What books are you using? What videos are you showing? Are you really representing the world and the scholars with all the representation that should be there? And he really opened my eyes because I was sharing those seminal works that I was raised on and taught. 
So I kept repeating that cycle. And when he brought that to my attention through the book, I thought, wow, this is really important stuff. And I went back, this is just three weeks before school was starting, you know, our semester was beginning and I kind of ripped apart my syllabi and redid them. I was determined to let other voices be heard. And I was so proud that when I had a diverse group of LGBTQ uh, people from India and China and, um, you know, black people that they would feel represented. They would have a role model and someone in that class, somewhere in the material that I used or the guest speakers who came in where they could see someone like them. And that was sending a message of, I can achieve this too. So I'm very conscious of the way I, uh, thanks to Kevin Gannon, um, how I interact with students. Um, all along my career, I have banned negative self-talk. I don't allow that in my classes. So if I ask someone, you know, would you do this or answer this question? They say, I stink at that. I say, no, I prefer that you say I'm learning more. I'm getting better every day. So I don't want that negative self-talk there. They need to see themselves as succeeding. They need to have someone say, I believe in you. And they change. Like they, they just come out of their shell. They start to blossom when they hear that someone believes in them. And when they see role models and materials that are from people who look like them and live like them. And that's what I'm really proud of is I feel like I'm continually learning that and I continually want to be better. So I think I'm aware enough to say I'm still understanding this idea. Um, I'm still wanting to embrace diversity on a different level. And when I Need a Speaker was launched, um, this was probably in, in the middle of all this. I was really aware of the fact that the speakers we hear are the same old people all the time. The same old voices, the same old routine, the same messages. And I think that's got to change because it's so much richer to communicate with diversity. It's so much more engaging and impactful when we have different voices at the table. And some students tend to think of, some people in general, tend to think of diversity as black and white. And I tell them up front, it's not that way. It's um, healthy and able-bodied versus differently abled. It's living in a city versus a country. It's living in the US versus another country. It's ageism. It's um, how you were raised. It's religion. It's your mindset. It's your sexual orientation. So diversity comes from all the things that make us unique as people. And the more of those kinds of elements you can have around the table, the better your message is going to be, the better your product is going to be, the better the world is going to be. And I believe so strongly in that. So I'm really encouraging people who are feeling marginalized to grab a megaphone and share that message with the world. Which you're facilitating making that much more easy and that much more accessible to them with digital platforms like I Need a Speaker. That's my goal. That's that's my mission. Mm -hmm. Your students are so lucky to have somebody of such a growth mindset encouraging them <laughs> to foster growth mindsets of their own, as I'm sure your kids are too. Trisha, thank you so much. If you could maybe just part with us with some words of wisdom, what would you say are some of your favorite communication tips? Do you have one favorite tip that you tend to give people? Is there something that you follow that's your golden rule of effective communication that you would share? I think I would have to boil it down to think before you speak. You know, think about what you want to say 
And of course, it's not just speaking, it's written, but think before you share, think before you speak, because that gives you an opportunity to take a second and really examine, is this where I want to go? You know, is the hammer building or is it tearing down? Am I being clear? Am I being empathetic? Am I being emotionally intelligent? And I realize in a conversation, you let that guard down and that happens to all of us. That's a human thing. But especially when the stakes are a little bit higher, when it's a difficult conversation, a professional conversation, something that could change your path, a job interview or something, uh, myself with a student at risk, perhaps, um, take the time to really think about what you want to say and what that message is, and then request that feedback to make sure that the message was received as intended. And we'd all be better off if we did that. Just think before you speak. We would. And that's almost counterintuitive in such a fast pace, instant response, instant messaging kind of world, right? Do you sometimes get pushback from students? Wait a minute, but what if I'm expected to answer something immediately and then it'll seem like I'm hesitating if I take some time to formulate or think about it? Or if somebody is in an interview on a media interview situation, then they hesitate that if they don't immediately shout out the first thing that comes to mind, then they'll be perceived as as if they're not confident or. When we talk about that in public relations classes, one thing that I try to let them know is they don't have to answer every question. And if they don't know the answer, it's okay to say, I don't know, but I'll find out and get back to you. So we do talk a lot about redirecting conversation, that if it's starting to go down a negative path or veer off on a tangent, how do you redirect that conversation to the key messages? So that's a a critical part of what we talk about in public relations. And in my personal life, I've applied that by, you know, um, there are times when if I'm involved in a heated discussion or something that's uncomfortable, I have had the opportunity of taking, of making the choice, really. I've made the choice to say, I'm not going to have this conversation right now. I choose to not have this conversation right now. I may say things I would regret. Let's just wait and we'll talk about it later. Or I've taught my kids to say this as well. Um, I don't have enough information to contribute, but if you would tell me a little bit more, that would help me make a decision or share my thoughts. So we always feel pressured that if I ask you a question, you feel like you have to answer it right now, but you don't, you don't, you can take that time to think about it. You can take that time to process it. You can say, I don't know. You can say, I need more information, or you can say, I need to think about this a little bit more. Um, again, coming back to my husband, who's so wise, if I start a conversation and he's in the middle of something and knows that he doesn't communicate well multitasking, he'll say to me, I want to give you my full attention. Can we have this conversation in 10 minutes when I'm finished? And how do you, how do you not love that? I mean, how do you not, how do you do that, right? How do you, so, clone, how do you clone that? Does he give workshops? <laughs> <laughs> What's his so, field? He works in sales. I'll bet so he's really he, good at it. I'll bet he's really he's great at making so, the human connection. He's so good at it. Yeah. You know, I met him and was fascinated my first visit with him. And here we are years later. <laughs> so I'm still fascinated by him. So he does share good advice like that. I take that advice from him. I'd like to be more like him in the calmness aspect of it. You know, I like to think that I practice good communication skills but he brings that level of emotional calmness to it. 
And I think that his influence with our children as they're growing and, and being in different situations has also benefited them. Well, I know that they benefit from your passion too. I certainly have just now in such a short conversation. <laughs> Trisha, thank you. thank you so much. I will absolutely link up in the show notes to I Need a Speaker so that listeners can link up with you so that they can check out I Need a Speaker, whether they want to become speakers or whether they need a speaker, and so that we can all amplify diversity of voices. And as you recommended, people can take up a megaphone and speak their truths and share them. I want to wish you and your family a happy, healthy 2021, happy new semester to your students, and I look forward to meeting you in person as soon as possible in best health. I would love that so much. It's such a joy to talk to you all the time, not only because we understand each other, but just because you're fun to be around and and you remind me of things that are so important. So thank you as well. Thank you very much, Trisha. Take care. Thanks. Thanks for being here with us on Let's Clarify It. I hope you found it helpful. If there are specific topics you'd love to hear covered or you'd like help clarifying your own message, I'd be delighted to hear from you. Feel free to reach out to me on letsclarify.it. In the meantime, be sure to take good care and clarify your messages to amplify your impact.